customers who click. I've got a great episode in store for you today as we're talking about my favorite topic, conversion rate optimization. Today, I'm joined by James Robinson, the head of CRO at Sophology. Uh, we're going to be diving into the process they use to improve conversions, uh, which is particularly important for high ticket products that uh, customers in an ideal world would probably like to see in person, uh, actually test out before committing to. Uh, so as part of this, we're also going to be talking about the uh, relationship between the online and offline experiences. Uh, don't forget to review the podcast if you haven't already. And now it's time to get James on. Hi, James. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just uh, giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, my name is James Robinson. I'm head of conversion optimization for Sophology. I've been in digital for probably about 20 years now. So been, been around a while uh, working through originally as a, as a developer and then as kind of project management, account management, and then okay. um, into e-commerce consultancy and more recently, I guess, kind of conversion optimization, e-commerce management and kind of analytics. Works across retail, consultancy, automotive, finance. And for the last about four and a half years, um, we've been working for Sophology. So my responsibilities there are to really look after the, the customer from a digital perspective from when they land on the website, hopefully to making a purchase of a sofa, whether that's online or whether online is part of their journey and they end up transacting either either in store or over the phone. Sophology, um, as the name probably suggests, if you don't know the brand, sell sofas. So obviously quite a quite a large product, quite a, a tactile product in terms of customers wanting to feel it, sit on it, and it, it being a, a reasonable investment that a customer will have for a number of years. So um, I guess the, the ideal customer journey, if there's a physical retail location where a customer can go and experience the product is to is to do that. So, so my role really is to, is to make sure that whatever their journey is, whether it's an online only journey, an online to store or an online to store, online to store to online journey, and that we're making that process as, as smooth as possible. Yeah, cool. Sounds great. These might be a little bit of a signal problem. You were a little bit choppy then. It seems to be okay now. You're right. Um, your little signal bar's gone gone white. Let's um, yeah, we'll continue. We'll obviously edit out this bit. Cool. Okay. Sounds like a it's quite a different career path that you've had. Because how how did you get into CRO? At, you know, for the for the latest part of your part yeah, of your I guess yeah. To try and put it into a bit of a bit of a narrative that makes sense i guess i originally started off as, as a kind of a developer and then moved into i guess trying to translate a business needs into what could actually be be done with an agency and from there moved over into kind of a more broad kind of e-commerce consultancy so understanding what a business need was understanding what a user need was understanding what could be achieved from a, a digital perspective and, and helping kind of create those experiences and kind of going going through that journey you obviously get exposed to user research different ways of kind of developing ideas and products and some of the clients that i was working for were really looking to either kind of do a replatforming or really kind of push on their their sales so to be able to give them clear recommendations of why to do something and how best to do it and provide i guess the numbers behind it to say of all the things that you could do you really need to kind of have some research to give you the best possible chance of success um and then to be able to measure it so probably winding back 10 years ago it would be a client who'd be just looking to kind of redesign or rebuild a website 
without any real clear, necessarily clear user reason for doing so. And just with a goal of, oh, we need to make, we need to make more money. But in, in going through that, it was, well, we need to be able to measure it. Do you want to do absolutely everything at once? Why are we, why are we doing this? And that naturally led into kind of that mixture of user research, analytics, I guess what's now conversion optimization, but probably more from a, a broader perspective, not so much, I guess, tactical, probably a bit more, a bit more strategic around why to do some of the things that the, the business is doing, how to measure the impact of it at the other end. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think my, I guess my experience is probably quite from the other side of things. So I was, uh, my experience is always marketing. It's always been marketing, but it was very much, here's a load of money, go acquire customers and grow, grow, go grow the business. And, and there were just problems. So I, I started to, to try and work more closely with the developers, with the product team to, to try and understand what was possible to improve the experience. And then kind of found out about you know ab testing and the technology involved and thought okay this is this is interesting and then the i think it was the customer research side that really got me into it you know actually mm-hmm. phoning up customers speaking to customers about what their problems were what they wanted to achieve with the product that's the bit that got me thinking okay i, I find this so much more interesting than just building out ad campaigns mm. yeah and i think i was involved in a, in a project yeah quite, quite a while ago where it was it, it was large enough that they could do in-person user research on building the new website, which which was just, yeah, it probably sounds very similar to your experience, really kind of eye-opening, that it was a, a, a customer journey that could be online, but it could involve a, a store. It was just a customer trying to complete a job, buy a product to, to complete a job, and to be able to sit kind of the other side of the glass and for a real person to explain something while you're looking at a set of designs or wireframes. So, Actually, this really, like what we bought, really isn't aligned with what a customer is actually trying to trying to achieve. And just a few simple things could actually make this a lot more, a lot more straightforward for them. At least talk in their language and align it with what they're trying to trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean we'll get we'll get into this in more detail in a sec. But it seems like you're in a a good industry, good category for that. You now I've been I've been thinking about what industries I want to be working in. And I uh, have been led down the the kind of higher value products, which also tend to be products that have more aspects to them that require convincing a customer on. So with a mm. sofa, it's you know getting the right color, the right material, the right dimensions, the right layout, style. Then there's probably things around the guarantee, like the, you know, the post-purchase things you've got to convince people on. Whereas if you're selling some you know, fast fashion, effectively, all you really need to be saying is, well, and it's not this simple, but, you know, you get the pictures in front of people. If people like the images, you can quite easily convince them to buy, you know, free shipping, free returns. That's probably most of it done. And then you're just trying to optimize for a few little things, but then also in order to get value out of a, a CRO program, you've got to be selling tens of thousands of of products to mm. then to then generate an ROI, which whereas with the higher higher value things, you know, it's a if if you can get a, a small increase in conversion rate, it's still could be tens of thousands of pounds. Yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's. It'd be great to hear like what what is your approach with you know at Sophology? You know, how do you how do you keep customers clicking there? 
Yeah, it's. I guess it, it's con- kind of constantly evolving. It's because of our the nature, as we've been talking about, the nature of what we sell and that kind of online to offline and the longer consideration cycle. I think kind of initially coming in and thinking, let's just have a look at the website. Let's have a look at some kind of opportunities to to run some tests, looking at how many sofas you can realistically sell at kind of a high AOV and the traffic that you get in trying to do a test where you're going to move the, the dial by a few percentages and expect there to be a you know a customer ordering kind of in session or within a period which you know a tool can kind of establish that that test has had that impact is is tricky you have to do something pretty pretty large um the conversion rates for very high ticket items you know aren't aren't as high as you'd expect as as, as some others so that kind of initial approach of coming in and, and just being able to look really kind of simply and easily it flows through the site where customers were potentially dropping out and, and treating it as a and a one session one visit two visit kind of experience doesn't doesn't quite work so it was really trying to understand the relationship between kind of online and offline and really getting an understanding of of the, the full customer journey taking appreciation of both of those things so quite a lot of it is, is things which wouldn't i guess necessarily fall into a uh, kind of a, a CRO roadmap, one of which is just making sure that all of the store listings are accurate in the right place that customers can see them. They may not even actually land on on our website because offline is, is such yeah. an important kind of element that if a customer is searching for sofa stores near me, yes, we want them to click through to our website and, and do the research phase. But some of that may be actually seeing that there's a physical store because that for some customers of what is in their their head they want to go and do that research to make sure that we're at least there and and to get through to the site in the right context is is some of the work we've done and simply looking at um kind of paid paid channels such as you know google shopping or or image search again as kind of a routine understanding those routes in in a context yeah just relate relate to the store store locations so that it, for me that it, the way you described it kind of falls into that is it is it CRO or is it actually just a it's a fix is it actually a bug that's being fixed if the location's wrong but optimizing that listing is important so do you do anything with you know do you work with stores to try and boost reviews for example for those individual stores so that when someone does say sofa store near me not only does the listing appear there but it appears with you know, a hundred five-star Google reviews. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I think it, it, it's going back a few years when we initially looked at, I guess, what's what's the audience that we can potentially kind of drive through to the site, if you like, and how much they're getting and what's their experience when they land there. And then for customers, say, coming in with Google Shopping and bouncing, what's that experience like? And when you, when you start looking at it that way, this audience, which aren't necessarily getting through to the site and we you know we could attempt to kind of optimize the locator pages for example there's a whole proportion of customers who might not actually even get there before before we do that so let's have a look at that and kind of using the, the same principle as how many customers are searching what's the conversion rate of those customers to actually visit a store so taking the same principles as you would an on-site kind of optimization and, and trying to work it for something which is which is off-site and then yeah, looking at what leads you can you can use to influence those customers and influence the rankings, I guess, to, to get more more through. But I think as you mentioned, the, the kind of fit is the 
is the base point. And I guess when I'm looking at conversion optimization, it's not really an optimization, but the starting point is to fix things, which which could be broken and they're just stopping customers getting through. It, you know, you're not really optimizing, but you know, some of the biggest wins I've had is is just looking at things that were basically fixing things that are broken, being able to see the flow of customers saying something's not right. Here. Yeah. So yeah, that was certainly certainly one aspect of it. And then yeah, looking at what you can do to to influence it. Yeah, that's I, I describe it in the same way, right? I'm I, I always say like I look in, into Google Analytics to see where something might be broken on the website, but actually, what I, I, I don't necessarily mean that something is actually broken, because if it, if something important to the conversion journey was broken, you'd have a zero percent conversion rate on a particular device or or a browser. But what tends to happen is, you know, I, I know the live chat icon might sit on top of the add to cart button on a certain device and some people get around it some people they find that live chat opens up every time they try and click add to cart so they give up and go so it's, it's those sort of fixes where you know e- even a developer qa might when they implement it look at the website on various devices and screen sizes and everything and go it's all working as expected like you know the, the live chat button works and the add to cart button does work they just kind of miss the if you could click it part so yeah i do i do think that's important because that is it's you know identifying those browsers those devices is a part of 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 the process really you know especially if you've got browsers which are doing you know reasonable map traffic you know if, if you've got bing for example it's not going to be up there at the top but it could still be in your top 10 could still be driving a decent amount of revenue but if you notice there that your conversion rates half that of chrome it probably indicates you've got a problem somewhere with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And I think there's, you know, there's quirks on particular devices which you only see if you've actually got that physical device in your hand. I've, I've worked in automotive, which, you know, for some use cases, you type in a registration, point, it's the easiest way of kind of identifying a, a car. And on certain keyboards, if you're trying to be too smart with what you're allowing within that field and, and trying to validate it and, and restrict it, certain keyboards on certain devices I've seen wouldn't just wouldn't work in the, the way you'd expect them to and wouldn't actually allow you to enter enter a registration in. But you'd only know that if you actually had a physical device, if you had any type of things trying to replicate it within a browser or or kind of yeah. through one of those third party tools, it, it wouldn't do it at all. So yeah, it was only actually kind of getting looking at the numbers and actually getting it in your hand and, and doing it as a customer would. Where it's like actually, yeah, this really, really, really difficult to do. And it's a yeah. quite a, quite well, a straightforward I, I had an, an interesting little bug, which is probably quite a difficult, it might be quite difficult to QA. I was just trying to pay something for something online, a, a bill. So it wasn't just through an e-commerce store. It was through a, a you know pay your invoice link. And it was Sage Pay, I think. And using Google Chrome, I could I would automatically, you know, autofill my my credit card details. But when it autofilled, it filled it as one single 16-digit number. And actually, the entry requirement was four digits, four digits, four digits, four digits. So the autofill process then meant when I tried to complete the purchase, it said, oh, you've got an incorrect or your your card number doesn't match the format for your card type, I think was the error. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I've worked it out by just putting the spaces in there, but it's these sort of little bugs that, someone else you know there will be people that turn around and go well the website didn't take the payment so i can't pay the bill sorry 
And if that's happening on your if that's happening on your e-commerce site, particularly on, on mobile, where trying to get into that space where you need to put a space can be a little you know fiddly at times. You know, mm. some people are just going to get they'll get fed up and go. Yeah, exactly. So, how do you approach CRO at Sophology? Particularly, let's talk focus on the on the online side, the actual e-commerce mm. store. Yeah, I guess we've got the you know a, a process we follow around you know, kind of researching, understanding the customer as best we can, and, and the you know it's different kind of regularity and kind of cadence of that. Um, have a good kind of backlog of we could look at. Uh, an approach and for the most part it's around kind of prioritizing what we should be doing it could be doing could be doing next and played around with different kind of prioritization methods and and that side of things and and then it's looking at what we think we can do from i guess from a kind of a tactical perspective where we don't need necessarily too much developer input or we're looking at uh, kind of testing something or something that requires more developer input or potentially a bit more kind of strategic to do where it may go into kind of a backlog for the development and then how we how we'd actually test that kind of test the output of it the other end and then again it's it's kind of bookending bookending that so if we are running it as a as an a b test do we need to do kind of some post user research or been test user research to understand really what's what's going on and how it's how it's changed customer behavior i think the bit that we kind of layer over the top i guess is understanding how it, it, it could potentially install so we would have kind of the goal of customers purchase purchasing online but would also take a view of how many customers are purchasing in store depending on what the depending on what the test is about something will just purely be you know, almost a micro test of can we get more people through to add to basket, for example, or can we get more people to kind of leave their email address? Others may be slightly more kind of propositional. So it's more difficult to say definitely whether it's had a had an impact, but we will still run kind of an A-B test and have a look at the two different audiences and try and establish whether one is more likely to have gone into a store and made a purchase versus the other. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I suppose there are certain other things you could track on the website, right? You know, if you if you run a test and the goal of that test is to is to try and get people in store, then or maybe not try to get people in store because you'd probably use some sort of, you know, book an appointment function or something. But you, you know, if if you saw that because of this test, a lot of people were clicking on the store locations section of the website. Mm. It's probably a good indicator that these people are going to go in store. Just go and see if they can check out the the sofa that style yeah yeah and i think we're we're um we have a concept of a shared basket within within the business so if you if you add something to your basket online and then go into a store that can kind of be retrieved if you like within within store and vice versa so we do have kind of a, a mechanism to to see when customers do get to that point whether something we've done online to a particular audience has translated through to seeing more of those customers or at least identifying more of those customers in store when they've gone through and retrieved the basket. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, if you can identify those certain journeys, you'll know that people who take certain actions online and then go in store are almost guaranteed to make a purchase. Unless unless there's a problem in store, you know, if they haven't got a particular sofa in stock to, to show people, or I don't know. There's no salespeople, for example, for for some reason. But yeah, you, you've they've gone through the process of maybe customizing the the sofa, and then you know that they're going to go in store. 
and they they should make that purchase because they just want to want to test it as that final step. But with so you've got your products are quite customizable, aren't they? So yeah, and we know that generally speaking, the paradox of choice causes a bit of a problem when you've got um, not just too many options, but too much to do yourself as a customer, too many too many things mm-hmm. to pick from. So you know, yeah, just, I guess generally, what how do you approach? that aspect of things you know giving people choice but without overwhelming them yeah it's a it's a really good point and it's something that i kind of acknowledge we probably haven't got completely perfect or, or completely right yeah we've, we've got a lot of options within with our products and if you're looking for something you know very particular for yourself like our kind of mantra is you know finding a, a sofa that you that you love feel like honest you love to be able to get exactly what you want is quite important but at the same time if you're opening up you know the choice of saying you know you can have a hundred thousand products uh, kind of available to you at, at the very start of your journey that's far too many so it's a it's around i guess yeah. taking the customer through the journey of identifying kind of which elements are important to them and when they when they get to the point of being able to to change some of the some of the items kind of configurable options as we'd, we'd call them that they've already made kind of the important decisions to get to that point and the way that the, the products are presented on site is, is an attempt to do that the, the site at the moment is more of a kind of a browsable inspirational route to product with a search which allows you to drill down in the balance of you know is, is something that could be we looked at, but really it's around is this the type of visually the type of sofa that you're interested in in the type of color the look of it rather than being you know customers and necessarily searching for like something very precise it may be that they're looking for you know a brown leather corner sofa but then there's a lot of kind of visual difference between that so presenting those to the customer at the start point will get you kind of to to one limit you've got your color you've got your type of sofa and the, the fact that it's a corner and a leather kind of restricts you down to a certain point then there's a certain amount of or which which range which kind of look or or style and then you have to start dipping into the different ones and at that point is where you can start fiddling around with you know i want uh, a power recline or a manual recline or or i want to change the feet or i want a different filling in the seats or i want a headrest or all of the many other things you can kind of add on but i get the the intention i guess is to inspire the customer that this is this is what the sofa would look like in your home with some really great kind of visual photography to get them to the point of saying actually this is kind of style that i'm looking for then it's around kind of picking the product specifics which uh, lends itself a bit more kind of inspirational start point but it's finding the right element that the customer's kind of interested in to to drill into to get to that yeah yeah i think it makes sense and like you said at the start right if you've got you know you i guess in theory if you worked out all the different SKUs, you could say there's a hundred thousand different sofa options available start filtering and see if you can find the one you want but you probably you see a horrendous conversion rate because no one will ever be able to find what they want i think i can't remember if i mentioned it to you on our last call about uh, i was looking at i was having just having a look at mattresses it was when because eve sleep went bust and it just kind of caught my attention so i thought i'd have a bit of a look and one of the websites it literally just did have uh, several hundred options 
And, you know, obviously every picture is just a mattress. You know, there's there's not a lot, there's not that much difference there. You know, a picture of a mattress, you can't really tell what's different about them, apart from that it might be single or double or king size. And then they all had something that really bugs me about some websites, actually. They were all kind of branded names, right? So the a branded model name for the mattress which means that on this on this collection page you're looking at this these listings of mattresses and you don't have a clue what's different about any of these and mm. that's you know that's the thing that's likely to get people to say no I'm done with this I'm I'm out whereas if you can start the journey by saying I want a corner sofa or I want a a sofa bed and then you know pick a color pick a material and you know each step you've only actually got to make a decision out of I don't know, maybe 10 options. That's a lot mm. easier to handle, even though you are making, you know, maybe 10 decisions each out of 10 options. So you've, you know, the, the total number of options is massive, but at each step, you've only got a handful to deal with. That's yeah, exactly that. I think, yeah, to, to your point of brands on a mattress is probably useful for, you know, I don't know, five, ten percent just to pluck a number out of out of the air who who would actually know what those brands were. It's it's around finding the right the right question, which is going to be important to the customer that they're coming in with. For some customers maybe colour, for some it may be they want to you know, they definitely want to reply on the sofa or they they definitely want the leather or they whatever it might be. I think colour, size, material feel like the kind of important ones for 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 our customers, but it's it's the most it's the most difficult challenge we have really is is trying to present the right product to the customer and, and help them find it in in and amongst all of those all of those questions. Yeah, do you like explicitly ask any of these questions on the website? So instead of instead of presenting the different sofa type options, do you say? I don't know what the question would be off the top of my head because I haven't worked with sofas. But you know, do you ask the question like, what what type of sofa are you looking for, and kind of get the get the customer to answer a question rather than just look at a list of options? If that makes sense. Yeah, we, we yeah we have we have played around with that, but I think what, what I guess where we're at is trying to visually present some um, some products to customers and and using I guess a more traditional kind of facet filter so that they can select what's important and, and then start to see the to see the results i think one of the things which we're really keen on is being able to show what a sofa would potentially look like in in a home environment and and to do that you obviously have to place the sofa in a room set whether that's kind of a, a photography or a 3d room set but given the the number of items you can't do that for absolutely everyone so we have yeah some imagery which is really rich and inspirational but it's limited to the to a number of products and then you have a the bulk of products below which is just a you know to your point about mattresses just a sofa on a on a white background so it really doesn't get the sense of what it looks like in the home so it's that balance of trying to show the inspirational image so then customer can kind of say yeah that's that look is kind of what i'm going for and i could see that in my home alongside the balance of being able to drill down and potentially get an image which isn't as inspirational but is representative of what you're actually looking for yeah so do you use any like ugc you know, do, you, do you ask customers to send in pictures at all and and test out you know ex- exactly what you've mentioned really it's the you know this isn't the exact product that you want because we don't have that picture but it's the same layout it's the same style so this should give you an impression of what it's going to look like 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we're lucky that we do have kind of we do have an image of every sofa that we sell. It's just not within a room set, so it's that it's that bridge of showing what it looks like and then and inspiring. So yeah, we have quite a decent bank now of user generated content. I think it's again because of the nature of the product. I think customers quite like you know if they're redoing a only more move to take a picture and, and kind of say you know, the room's finished take a look so we do get some really great ugc which is really useful for customers to be able to look at and say okay i can kind of see it now that you know whilst we have a a lifestyle photo of the product kind of in one type of environment uh, i don't know within a, a, a flat or an apartment a customer may put it in a kind of a more industrial looking room set which may appeal to customers who think, oh, I can, that's what I'm going for. I can totally see that now. Whereas you're looking at it either on a white background or against something else and you can't see it in the same way that that's actually going to work with the kind of look of the room that I'm going for. It's it's the look of the room. And it's also just, in a way, it's, it's just kind of getting a feel for the size, isn't it? Just by having it in a picture that has, I don't know, like a coffee table next to it or a, a plant or something just gives you a bit of a feel for the size, whereas you, you see the image on its own and you're thinking, you know, is this a, is it a two-person sofa or is it, is it two cushion, but it's big enough for, for three people to comfortably sit on? But yeah, you, you add in that, that other context and that mm. uh, tends to be really helpful. I've, I've seen that work with in other categories as well, you know, like, like lighting, like designer lighting, ceiling lights and things like that. Mm. We get loads of requests from customers who say, no, it'd be really great if we could see this light in this particular room because we only have a picture of my, my clients only got a picture of it in the living room, for example. And they say, well, you know, have you got a picture of it in the bedroom or the kitchen? You know, something like that, just because they want to mm. see, I guess, even though they know they're not going to see a picture of their bedroom, like with a bed in the room, how does this light look? Do you- yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the more more recent things we've done is to introduce AR on on some of the some of the ranges as well. So we've got a, a kind of another way of customers being able to visualise a a sofa within it will be within their room, kind of as it is now, I guess. Or if they've yeah. just got an empty room, what it would look like once they've done it. But yeah, that's a that's again proved a really kind of useful way of being able to to drop it in both from that kind of size perspective and and the look of the, where it's again it's. I guess to go back to the approach of kind of CRO, it's it's one of those things where, you know, we have a customer need that it's either around size or not being able to visualize the product. There's different ways of kind of fulfilling that need or answering that question for customers. The dimensions one, you know, you could have a video of someone sat on it. We've got some photos. AR is another way of kind of addressing addressing that need. If you, know, you can you can actually put it in your space and, and get an idea of how how large it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's giving people the options, isn't it? It's, it's answering the customer's question in the way that they need it answered. And for some people, that's going to be the AR option. Some people, it's just, you know, a picture of it in a room. And they go, yeah, that's fine. That's all I needed to see. I'm sure there are some people who are happy to buy it off the plane imagery because they know, you know, maybe they've bought several sofas before. And so they've got, you know, they've got a pretty good idea of what they're doing. So they just need to that basic picture. But by, you know, by giving people options, you're, you're covering things. Same with payment, you know, payment options, isn't it? You know, some people like to pay with PayPal and will only pay with PayPal. So if you don't have PayPal, you're not going to get the sale. Oh, so one thing I just wanted to ask on the UGC actually was, is that something your team leads on? Like, is that, you know, collection of UGC, is that, is that something you guys kind of pushed for 
Yeah, it's something, it's something we we put in. We use a we use a tool to I guess manage all of the um, the collection, the consent, and all of that side. But yeah, in terms of the kind of the where and the way it's it's displayed on site, again, it's it's something we could be doing quite a lot more with. But there's it's it's an interesting one in terms of yeah, having a, a large number of SKUs, being able to identify out of an image which product you exactly think it is when there's you know various different shades of various different colors is is something where ideally we'd want a, a bigger bank where customers could probably browse the the or say browse probably drill into the ugc a little bit more to actually show me everything that is kind of an industrial looking brown small sofa and at the moment it's it's not kind of based that way it's more based on if you're looking at this one we can show you some ugc of of this one and similar ones to it without being able to kind of go and look just specifically at UGC and use that as the route into products, which is something I think would be probably quite interesting as, a, as another another route through. Yeah, I think it's something like, you know, how is it House H-O-U-Z-Z, the kind of interior design website, their approach, which is, you know, I want to see this style of room. And then it just gives you loads of images of people's houses that have been done in that style of, in that style you know, if you could collect enough imagery to be able to say to people, instead of looking for a sofa, do you want to look for a theme of room? And here are the different here are the different sofas that fit well in this room. Could, yeah, mm. I don't know if it would work. <laughs> maybe that's too maybe that's too different to the current sofa buying experience that actually might confuse people and and wouldn't work. But yeah, maybe it's not for the e commerce yeah. side. Maybe, maybe it's that. That social media side of things. Yeah, I think there's we've got visual search capability as well, which allows users to upload photos of a sofa, and it will it will match it back to the closest match that we have within our kind of product catalog. But also, uh, obviously, allows you to kind of take any image from from the web or or from anywhere and, and try and find a sofa which would kind of match it. But it, it is looking at the individual product role in the context of the the room that it sits in but it's not something where we actively kind of have that bank of do you want to have a look at all of these rooms and we'll try and find you a sofa because that that really is for the customer to go out and 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 find but i guess in terms of that mood boarding and trying to understand what customer might be doing off-site at least giving them a a mechanism to say well if they've got a a mood board of images that they can plug into a visual search which might present some products back it's certainly not kind of a, a primary route that most of our customers would 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 go through but it's something we've yeah. introduced in again to try and match that need of of customers who might be doing that. Yeah, and I suppose you know you mentioned it at the start, right? This is a, it's a big purchase, and it's one that you only make every I don't know, ten years, something like that, five to ten years. So yeah, it's you know if if you don't get the sale now, you don't get it for another ten years. So you've got to yeah, Kate, try and cater for all these behaviours. Give give people all those different experiences to try and get as much of that, uh, as many of those opportunities as you can. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's it's a product which you know people use. Yeah, it's between five and ten years most most days. It's a kind of a, yeah. you know, it's in a room where, in terms of a business kind of word of mouth, where did you get that from? Uh, where did you get that sofa from? As you say, that kind of making ensuring they're getting the right product is is really important. So yeah. It, sure that kind of a customer's confident in what they're purchasing is the right product for them hitting that window and then yeah it's a it's a long wait until they're potentially um 
kind of looking for another one. Yeah, and in fact, speaking of that that long term piece, do you find there are many questions that you need to answer on the website related to not not just the initial post purchase experience, but you know, if something happens to your to your sofa three years down the line, you know, like yeah, I don't know, it could be maintenance questions. You know, how do you clean this type of material? You know, that sort of thing. Do you you know have you run many tests around that? Do you find that it's something that that moves the needle. I guess we, we talk about kind of guarantee as quite an important consideration. It's something which kind of across the industry, there'll be varying levels of guarantee that are offered, kind of structural guarantees on it, which is important to customers. There's questions which are they're past the point of which they make the purchase. It's kind of between the purchase of the sofa and it actually arriving in your home. There are there are things which questions that we need to help answer for customers in terms of how the delivery experience will be, how they'll actually physically fit it into the room and things which uh, you know if if you do kind of a say a remote usability test on something and ask a customer to kind of find a sofa and they can do it quite easily there are questions which those type of users don't don't answer which is things like well i've actually got a sofa already so what am i going to do with that and how many days am i potentially going to be without a sofa so there's those those types of things where that would be when a customer's really has the intent of buying it that you only really get from speaking to a customer who has that real intent rather than just being able to do a little bit of a little bit of testing with people. So there's a whole load of questions in there to fill in. And then yes, once the customer's kind of received it, they'll have it for, for five years. And I guess we we sell services which help kind of address some of the questions or concerns or problems that customers might have in terms of care kits to be able to clean sofas. You can purchase one at the, at the point of purchasing your sofa because you know, if you eat on your sofa, you've got children and uh, that might mark it. That is a kind of a preemptive. Well, you, here's a here's a care kit, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, there's a product we have called Sofa Shield, which is. You know, if it gets accidental damage, wine spills on it, and you can't clean it out, that's, that someone can come out uh, and deal with that. So there's a certain amount of uh, of that being done as well. And then, as you say, there's other questions which might be a bit further out, where we do have a reasonably comprehensive help section on the site to try and answer a lot of those questions. Going back a few years ago, it's something we did more kind of testing on in terms of if we introduce more, more and more help on a per range basis, and make the help much more specific. Is that going to help in terms of addressing customer queries for these specific ranges, given that we can give more and more kind of inf- information over to customers who've already purchased? Yeah, it's a really interesting point you made about user testing, actually. And I've I've found the same. It's it's handy for it, it's it's handy for usability. That's that's basically what it is. It's, it's a usability test. You know, they don't have to want to buy a sofa to be able to go through the configurator, you know, f- find what they're looking for, especially if you give them you know, reasonably specific tasks to do. But yeah, you're, what you're never going to get from them is, well, what what happens next? You know, how do, how do I get rid of my current sofa? You know, might be how long, you know, if, especially when, you know, sofas are generally things that come with a, you know, it could be eight to 10, 10 to 12 week delivery periods. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I guess, slightly annoying for people, but it's the eight to 10 piece as well, which is the, that's where the questions come up. It's, you know, okay, if it's going to arrive in eight weeks, I can arrange for my sofa to be removed at the eight-week point. But if it's not going to be eight weeks, if it's going to be ten, how much notice do I get of delivery, and how so? How much notice do I have to to get rid of my existing sofa? That that I can imagine is quite a big concern for people. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I guess we've we've tried to put services into. So we offer a, something called Sofa Rescue, where we we can collect sofa and recycle via um, via the Sofa Rescue program. And yeah, trying to be as as precise with dates as as we can be around uh, when it's going to be in. But yeah, it's yeah, it's something I I kind of first experienced a few years ago where I did a remote user test around booking an appointment to sell a car and it was you know a pretty usable experience we'd you know gone through a lot of iterations of making it uh, making it as easy as possible but we just had one like really good participant who was actually legitimately trying to trying to sell the car and they just talked for okay. a good few minutes around well i'd have to drive there and then my dad would have to i guess my dad would have to come with me because how am i going to get home because i've just sold my car but my dad works like monday to friday so it'd have to be weekends i guess i'd need the documents and the driving license i need to sort that and just talked about you know as if they were actually going to do it that saturday and all of the hurdles and little challenges that they'd have that if you're just saying can you just book an appointment can you see you know and people could just rattle through that quite easily it's yeah. not the same thing as, as really addressing those kind of key questions and concerns which are really going to slow slow people down and stop them and when you see on remote session replays customers maybe just scrolling up and down product pages and clicking in for more information you don't know what they're what they're actually after to answer that question yeah so the yeah the custom pc company i worked with they had a really good process which customers loved which is when you purchased the product they you got your first email came through which was order confirmation but it's it laid out the the time frames or oh, sorry, not not exactly the time frame. So it laid out the process that you would go through, and they told you that you'd be updated at each status. So you know, so you'd have order confirmation. Well, that's the email you've got. So when the engineers are checking your your custom configuration, you get emailed. When they're building your custom configuration, that you get emailed. When it's going through testing, you get emailed. And then when it go when it's you know being put out for delivery, you get emailed. So that kind of answered some of those questions around, you know, how long is this really going to take? And and just understanding, you know, and they were they were good at communicating in the gaps as well. So if a if something went into build, so if it went into testing and the testing found that something was wrong, I don't think they actually moved it back a status at all. But you'd get an email saying, just just that, you know, you know, we know this has been testing for a couple of days. We're just figuring out a couple of bits. So they would just keep that keep people informed which i think you know if, if someone's yeah, looking yeah, at waiting two uh, weeks for a product yeah i, I think in you know it, in a lot of ways it's the difference between kind of having that if you were selling one one product to one customer and that was the only customer you had and the only product you were selling you'd have you know a very regular kind of communication you'd you'd treat them in the absolute best possible best possible way and, and keep in touch and it kind of goes into that kind of personalization if, if you've got a limited number of customers you know exactly who they are you treat them in a particular way you show them exactly what they what they need and you communicate with them regularly as you kind of scale up and have more and more and more customers just before we finish is there anyone in the e-commerce space that you'd really like to sit down for lunch with yeah so good good question i guess it, there's probably a couple of people one is probably uh, you know re- reasonably well known uh seth going i think would be a really interesting character to to have a have a chat with really kind of engaging person to listen to even you know, if you're just watching a video of his or, or or reading a book and just a great i think great communicator of, of 
putting across ideas in a really kind of simple, simple, understandable and kind of actionable, actionable way. I'd also be quite interested to meet Rand Fishkin, who's the founder of Moz and sparked follow him on Twitter. He looks like he's a very good chef. So <laughs> probably make a, a, a nice Italian <laughs> Italian lunch. I think it should be really interesting in terms of the, the history that he's had kind of within the industry, within within search and his in this new venture to kind of pick his brains and, and hear his story. Yeah. How long has he been doing Spark Toro now? Is it two or three years? Yeah, it's a few a few years, yeah, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, both good choices. Yeah, I've read a few of Seth's books. Yeah, really interesting. So I think Purple Cow is kind of one that stuck with me for well, for, for most of my career really. It's just a really good way of thinking about it. You know, just mm-hmm. in fact, actually, so there's an episode, well, an episode of the podcast that will come out two weeks from when we're recording this. And just one of the examples he gave was in Google Shopping, if you're selling products that are almost like, you know, tend to be stock imagery sort of things, have your product face the opposite direction to everyone else's. If everyone goes with a standard image, with a standard direction for it, just have yours face the other way because it's the one that stands out. I thought it was really just a really good, simple example. So uh, yeah, if you have a look at our sofas, and <laughs> you'll notice they're uh, not face on; they are on a on an angle, which which is different to, yeah. to everyone else, and that's kind of kind of by design. But yeah, yeah, okay, cool, uh, cool. So uh, yeah, just finally, if you got any any tools that you'd recommend, I suppose probably CRO related tool. I guess the the two I use most regularly at the moment are uh, Bloomreach, which is our kind of customer data platform to be able to understand what customers are doing at kind of an individual level. But we also use that as our A-B testing tool to be able to, uh, I guess, well, run the test, but create the audiences for the for the test based on our okay. understanding of customers. So in their, in their everyday, also use Content Square um, quite quite a lot and quite regularly to understand kind of customer journeys, session replays, heat mapping, error analysis, all of, all of that side of things. And... It's probably finally on on kind of user research, having a look at different different tools, different remote user research tools to kind of supplement those those other two kind of data tools, if you like. Which is, you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a data data person, but yeah, getting a, a user research tool in as well. Do you have a a user testing tool? Or a, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, user testing tool. That's what they're called, isn't that? Yeah. Do you have one that you recommend? We're we're just having a look at the minute, actually. Um, oh, okay. Of what to what to use? Yeah, we've used uh, used a few in the past. Um, I think uh, you know, somewhere, you know, if you've got unlimited budgets, there's some great tools out there. I think it's yeah, yeah finding the, the right the right tool that's appropriate for the budget and the amount of usage that, that you're going to get out of it within the within the team and, and the people within it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Makes sense. Cool, awesome stuff. If anyone wants to get in touch and and just you know pick your brain about CRO, what's the best way? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on on Twitter as well. And I think if my website's still active, it's just a just a profile at jamesrobinson.me, which has got links through to both of those sites on. Cool. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you so much, James. No problem at all. Good talking to you. Customization is really important to customers, um, but it's easy to go too far. Uh, offer too many options and you'll overwhelm them. You could create you know, any one of tens of thousands of sofas at Sophology, and if they provided each as a separate SKU, it'd be completely overwhelming. Even during customization, if you offer too many colors, too many materials, uh, customers get suffocated by the choice. They can't make decisions and they start questioning the ones that they do make. You know, is this the right shade of blue or do I want that one? I mentioned this many times, and it's so important when trying to optimize your website. Do the research, speak to your customers, find out what they want, uh, what they don't want, and have people test your website for you so you can figure out where the friction actually is. 
A huge part of CRO is just getting that research right and coming up with the right tests to try out. If you'd like to learn more from James, you can find him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Matt Holman joining me. We're going to be talking about subscriptions for e-commerce brands. But until then, keep those customers clicking.